Hello everybody, welcome back to the History of Video Games. My name is Wes, and I am here with Ben. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. What's up, Wes? How you doing? I've been doing pretty good. I, uh, <laughs> if you must know, just had a gluten-free pizza, and it was great. And that's... Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> you get one of those Freshetta ones, right? That's like your, your one. Freshetta is usually my go-to. This was actually from a... Uh, a restaurant though and i told him oh, to just like throw bacon on it i don't know what i was thinking but it was good <laughs> sounds good <laughs> but do you want to get us started today with uh what you've been playing recently or uh not i mean kind of <laughs> like i don't really have anything new to add like i've been playing a lot of chess still and my rating has not changed <laughs> <laughs> but i'm having fun with it I guess there's so many people playing right now that you can just hop right in like immediately. So you really have that like one more game feel if you're like lose a couple in a row. You're like, I can't stop playing until I like retake my score again. That's good. I, Cause I could easily see that being something where you'd worry like, is there a player base for it or? <laughs> right. Well, I guess everybody uses like the same site. I don't really know. That's kind of crazy to think about, but nice. Yeah. But uh, I was thinking because I don't really have anything new to say, maybe you can help like push me to actually like look at something new next week. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. I need a little help. <laughs> I was thinking about maybe going back and playing some more GameCube games from my childhood that I haven't played in like 20 years or something. Ooh, okay. But I'm not quite sure which ones I should do, which ones I should go for. I've got a couple in mind. One is NBA Street. Obviously, it's like one of my favorite basketball games of all time and i'm really curious to know if i go back to it now how clunky it feels compared to nba 2k 20 <laughs> <Since laughs> yeah that's that. true i'm kind of really interested to see that if it you know is what i remember and it plays like really nicely so i kind of <laughs> want to do that yeah i want to find i actually i don't even know what this game's called but there is a skateboarding game by disney on the gamecube i think or it has to do with Disney in some way. And it was a really good skateboarding game. And I remember it specifically introducing me to the band Yellow Card. Because that was on the soundtrack. And, oh, nice. Uh, they're just a great band. And I would have never known of them if I hadn't played that game. So I have a lot of good memories of that game. But I don't even know the title. I have to look it up. But <laughs> there's that one. What was I the other one I was thinking? I, I remember a lot of... um. And see, my problem is I don't remember the titles either because I didn't own a GameCube. <laughs> but I remember there being like some pretty good racing games for it. Oh, yeah. Kind of like the futuristic, like, I don't think it was a pod racer game because I would have remembered it. But it was one of those, like, you know, the track does all these crazy things and you're in like this car that has no wheels and you're just hovering along. Yeah. I distinctly remember one of those. That was really fun. <laughs> they had so many good ones. I might try Bully. I don't think I ever beat that game or even got close to it, but I own that one. Wow, I didn't know that was a uh, GameCube. I guess it was an original PlayStation as well, right? Yeah, it must have been. Or maybe I had it for the Wii, actually. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, I think it's a Wii game. But anyway, yeah, there's so many that I'm thinking of. Did any of those like strike you, Wes? Maybe I should check out? Hmm, that's tough. I could also play Harvest Moon. This was like the oh, original like sweet. Animal Crossing game, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, those are always a good time, especially if you kind of just want to chill and like grind away at something. 
I feel like NBA Street, I know you're yeah. already decided, but that's a, you got to check that out again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really do. I really just have, I want to do it because I want to just bash NBA 2K20. <laughs> that's exactly. really all I want to do. So, <laughs> yeah. Now I had to decide if I want to do the original or, or NBA Street 2. Oh, man. Or is there a third one? There might be a third one. I don't know. I'll have to go back and see which one I actually had. I think I had the first and the second, though. But, uh, if I remember them correctly, they're both really good. So it doesn't probably doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whichever one, I'm sure you're going to love it. But I'm sure it's going to be some things. Oh, you know what? I had to do the whichever one. Some of them you could play as like a Yeti, <laughs> like straight up, like a dude in a Yeti costume going around doing these crazy dunks. Oh, <laughs> Those games perfect. were so off the wall. It was awesome. <laughs> it's like Tony Hawk Pro Skater, man. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm going to check that out for next time. It'll be my homework. <laughs> there you go you're assigned reading yeah what have you been up to Wes though actually playing games hopefully yes yeah I have been I've been on another one of those uh, tears where I'm like dang it I gotta finish some of these games that I've just perpetually okay. left unfinished forever so I went through three of them Whoa. Subnautica I had like told myself I was done but I forgot I didn't even like build the rocket ship that you use to get off the planet <laughs> mainly because i finished the whole story and i just didn't feel like doing the resource gathering but i finished that up and it was nice like rewarding tie a bow on it kind of thing and then now i'm starting a new playthrough so glad i finished that up the big one that i wanted to talk about though is still not finished but i have finally been to the darkest dungeon in Ooh. the darkest dungeon which i had been putting off for so long because you get your characters to level six, you've spent so much money upgrading their gear <laughs> and their stats and like cleansing them of negative quirks. So they only have like these positive buffs and stuff like that in their character. And so basically you're incredibly heavily invested in them. And I figured, all right, I haven't played it in a couple months. I have a team of four top level people, which is what I need. Let me just throw everything at the wall, take all my best stuff, and see how it goes. And somehow I've managed to stay totally blind to the Darkest Dungeon, even though I've looked up hints and stuff with some of the other dungeons. But as you might imagine, my whole team wiped. Oh no. <laughs> and, and then, is it like permadead? They're gone, yeah. Oh no. And it's 100% my fault too, because right at the beginning of the mission, I always forget every mission you go on, you can retreat if you think all your people are about to die they just get like a bunch of stress from it which mm -hmm. is something you have to deal with but it's basically in most cases a lot better than just losing an upgraded character and they tell you right at the beginning of darkest dungeon they're like hey you're going into the darkest dungeon this is like the big serious one you can still retreat but if you do you have to leave like one or two or i think it's probably a random number of party members behind to fend off the demon or the ghouls and whatever else and everyone else makes it out and i just totally uh forgot about that even <laughs> because losing one would have been better than losing four i was at this point where uh i thought i still had a chance of beating the boss and then one of my guys died in a battle before i even got to the boss i was like three people left eh, i might as well just try it but once you lose one person in darkest dungeon depending on your team comp you're like totally messed up because you might only have like one healer 
and all the rest are DPS or like you really invested in this one tank so you don't have as many DPS and if you lose one of them they just like heal through everything and it was rough I actually still got pretty close although the only reason I got pretty close is because I rolled the dice and won several times anytime darkest dungeon when your character reaches zero health they enter a state called death's door and okay. every time they get hit after that they have a chance to resist death's door and stay alive and uh i got an achievement in steam for winning in the same combat having somebody resist the death's door hit five times in a row oh my god so i was definitely luck was on my side that whole run but i just wasn't prepared for it didn't know the abilities that the enemies did which is okay i didn't necessarily want to look it up and yeah, they tore through me. But since I hadn't played it in months, I was like, okay, those characters are gone. Time to build up some new characters to level six. Let's keep going with it. Taking a little break now, but I'm getting back up there. I beat a couple of other uh, random event bosses that I hadn't been able to beat before. So I'm getting ready to do the Darkest Dungeon again, I think. All right, nice. I mean... I'm sure it hurt losing all your guys, but I'm glad that you finally made it in there. Was it like aesthetically like really different and interesting? Yes, yeah. Nice. It's really cool. It's very as I'm sure you know from what you've seen and what you've heard me talk about, a lot of it's just like gross, weird kind of horror, but then a lot of the like core of it, like what you know the root of the evil in this whole game is about is like all this creepy eldritch like Cthulhu monster kind of stuff. Oh yeah. And so semi-spoilers for anyone who hasn't done the darkest dungeon yet the characters at least like some of the main the easy ones that you fight as you're working your way through the dungeon are some of these like cultists that you see really really early in the game and they look exactly the same but then whenever they do one of their attack animation all these tentacles fly out of them and they're instead of being called like uh brutish cultists or whatever their prefix is they're called ascended cultists and okay. it's it's so well done because it's only like this split second the way the darkest dungeon works like it shows like a different really well drawn sprite basically of this horrible tentacle thing and then it immediately goes back to looking normal so it's just like super mess with messes with your head i love it and the main reason i did that is because i just got the funded a board game that's coming out for it in a year and i was like oh shoot there's a bunch of spoilers in this i should probably actually beat it <laughs> <laughs> okay nice yeah, so that's that's what I've been up to. I could rant about Darkest Dungeon all day, even though I still haven't beat it. But at least if someone asks me now, I can say, like, yeah, okay, I've actually been to the Darkest Dungeon. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Making progress. All right. Uh, should we move into the special topic, Wes? We've got another sad funeral of a game company to work through. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Well, as much as I hate to see it, uh, it it's good information. we got to tell the people, you know? Yeah. So we mentioned it a couple times in the past couple of weeks, but we did cover the last game for Project Support Engineering, and I think this is going to be the hardest-hitting company to go with. I mean, Really? Okay. Yeah, I mean, one of their games made my top three games of the year list. I mean, that's, that's insane. But let me get into the games in a second. I'm going to do a very quick history of the company. We really don't have much information on them at all, but luckily the Golden Age arcade historian did have their incorporation date and where they were located from which i thought was interesting so these guys were incorporated in april of 73 in sunnyvale california but that's really all we know about them we don't know who was there 
what their main goals were. They did start making arcade games pretty early. One thing I thought was funny looking at these incorporation dates is that they're one of the earliest companies to be incorporated that like we have a good date for. The only ones that predate it are Nutting Associates, which makes a lot of sense, Ramtech, Atari, and 4Play, which we covered 4Play previously as well. But they like predate like XD and Key Games and Meadows Games and Digital oh, Games crazy. and all these other ones. So they're one of the older ones around. And unlike just about every other company that has gone under, they've actually made some good games. So let's just talk about those games. <laughs> they started in 75 with just like cloning Atari's things, which is what everybody did. So it makes sense. But 75 is a bit of a later date. I mean, I'm surprised they weren't in 73 with that, like right after Pong happened, you know, getting on that. But it seems like they took a while to get into the actual manufacturing of it. And they started with a game called HodgePodge, which was essentially a clean sweep clone. We then had 124, Play 5, and Frenzy, which we don't really have any info for, but they seem to be cocktail table games, you know, Pong games. But then we have the big ones, starting with Maneater in 75. I mean, not oh. only is this like one of the coolest cabinets ever made, period, in my opinion. I think it's like this one, and Death Race, I think, is up there, but. <laughs> I would love to have a Maneater cabinet. It's essentially a shark game, one of my top three of the year, where you're just kind of like dodging sharks and going down and getting treasure or something like that. But you played it inside of like a shark's head. Like that was the cabinet. Right, yeah. The monitor is inside its mouth. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really fun. It came out like right after Jaws, so everybody was on top of it because of that too. And I assumed it sold pretty well. There's definitely lots of pictures of many cabinets of it and there's even some video of the original still out so I, I really love that one but then going on to 76 now we've got two games both of which we covered the first was knights in armor west i mean you remember that one right that was oh, yeah yeah it's a strange jousting game <laughs> at least ambitious in its theme i didn't enjoy the game itself so much but it was really cool yeah all right so after knights in armor we've got uh one more here in 76 bazooka this was like a sea wolf game but actually used a giant bazooka peripheral which oh I, that's right yeah it looked like so big you could basically put your head in it which was funny so i kind of like that one and then now getting into 77 we've got un command which we didn't play but it's apparently a two-player version of bazooka that i think had two bazookas on the cabinet which sounds awesome and then also desert patrol which is a game that i reviewed it's a light gun game that was like glow in the dark it was like it was supposed to imitate like a night fighting type light gun game but uh, it kind of didn't work if like the arcade was lit up <laughs> right yeah but i enjoyed it for the most part and then in 78 all we have is game tree and that's it and game tree was another light gun game where you just like shot raccoons and stuff so it's really weird because in this list which is shorter than i would have expected to be honest i thought I remembered them more than all that they did really but that's just because some of them were just so interesting especially Maneater, Knights in Armor, Bazooka like these are all like top of the line games that are original and have really cool concepts and then like as they kept going into late 77 and 78 they tried some some weird light gun stuff and now now they're kind of done I'm not quite sure what happened it just kind of fell apart it seems <laughs> 
Yeah. And, and who knows? I mean, if it was their penchant for large and over the top uh, peripherals and cabinets, <laughs> that's true. Maybe they put their heart and soul into that, but it didn't uh, return on investment as much, you know? Yeah. But you got to love it for it, them for it in retrospect, just all the crazy stuff that they threw out there. Yeah. They're definitely one of the most unique companies that we've had the pleasure of playing their games. I mean, I'm definitely going to miss them because they're. They came out with some good stuff, just like straight up good stuff, and it's sad to see him go, but freaking project support engineering. And one of the best names in the business, too. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> this is along the lines of foreplay, where it's like, how am I supposed to look up project support engineering? Yeah, except foreplay is going to get you some worse <laughs> results than project support engineering. Probably. <laughs> Probably. When I did look this up, I get a fair amount of... uh ads for jobs and stuff <laughs> from right, indeed yeah. or whatever it just sounds like something like someone does it doesn't sound like a company like. Right. <laughs> uh, they go by pse so if for people out there looking up their games as well but um <laughs> that googling that doesn't really help either <laughs> but uh yeah that's but that's all i had i mean it's a shorter game list than i thought but uh that's all that they did and really again the highlight man eater one of my top games of 75 so this is the first company going under that has a top game i believe so it's a little sad but let's stay positive we've got some good games today let's move into that Welcome back. We're going to hop into it today, starting with some consoles, because, uh, you know, we had to break these up over a couple episodes, because there's so <laughs> many consoles we've gone over in our history, and they're still making them. So all of these ones, we've already covered all the chips from them, just like with the 8500s and the PC50Xs, but these ones are a little bit more advanced. We're going to start with the 8600-8615 chips. Now, these ones played eight Pong games, both in color and in black and white. If you want to learn exactly what those games are, you can check out some of our previous episodes where we covered this chip and the next one in a full review. But for some of the consoles that used this 8600 or 8615 chip, we've got the color video game by Conic, Apollo 2004, which is a very interesting name, by Interprex, the Computer Color Telematch Cassette 2, by ITT and Ideal, the Ricochet 8 MT1A8 by Ricochet, OC6000 by the Society Ossetane d'Electronic, which I'm guessing is a uh, French company. I also see them just abbreviated to SOE a lot. And then F8, also known as the New Color 8 by Univid. So all those were the 8600-8615 chips. And then we also have the 8610 chips. This one had the 8 that I just mentioned, plus another two games, 
which were target shooting games, but they weren't light gun games, which I, is what I thought they were going to be. Wes reviewed these ones a while ago. <laughs> right. But for the 8610, we've got Hit 10 by HitGo, TV Sport 4010, 5010 by Intel, the TVG 8610C by Hanimex. They didn't really try very hard on their naming there <laughs> for the 8610 chip. We've got Match Color by Match, Teleball 9 by MBO, Telehogo 2 by Philco and Ford, Sports World VMV5 by Video Master, and finally, the color TV game Mark 10 by Binatone. And then we have just a few more in the AY line, uh, or actually just one more here, which is Buy.Bip. I think that's how you say it, Buy.Bip 100 by Creatronic. And this one was an AY38760 chip, which was the stunt cycle games, plus all the 8500 games in this. Sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thrilling. And then lastly, for these consoles, we have the Telstar Gemini by Coleco, which used the MPS 7600-004 chip, which was just Shoot the Bear and Pinball Games from Telstar Arcade. Again, kind of weird. Yeah, just... It's like, let's take one of the parts of the triangle and just make that its own console. <laughs> we are selling the whole triangle, but no, we're just right. going to take one. It does seem like a strange thing, unless it's like vastly cheaper. But <laughs> uh, it could be, I guess. I don't know. Either way... They're like, people will buy this if it doesn't look like a triangle. <laughs> that could be, yeah. I mean, I would buy it because it looks like a triangle, though. Right. You know? Yeah, so would I. But let's move on to a computer game, which I got to take a look at. Devil's Dungeon by Chris Angle, which was both for the Apple II and TRS-80 and probably really anything else that could run BASIC because it was just a game written in BASIC code. And this, there's a couple back and forth about exactly when this came out, but it was in an ad advertising the code for this game in February of 1978 in Byte Magazine, so that's where we're going to say it came out. And then just some background on this game, Chris Angle, aka C.W. Angle, is also the person who wrote the Stimulating Simulations book of programs and games that we took a look at last year, I think, towards the end of 77. Mm -hmm. And he just had a bunch of basic programs in there. He's a math teacher, so a lot of this stuff is sort of geared towards interesting ways that computers can calculate mathematical things, which you'll kind of see a little bit in this RPG, Devil's Dungeon. And also, Devil's Dungeon is debatably the first commercial CRPG, computer RPG, according to both the CRPG Adventures blog and the CRPG Addict blog, which I did want to make a note here. Me and Ben were going through this, and CRPG Adventures and CRPG Addict are two different blogs by two different people. But they both are awesome. <laughs> they are both very good. Uh, our yeah. apologies if we ever credit one with one and the other with the other, but they both also reference each other quite frequently. They're both on Blogspot and very similar names, so give us a little bit of grace there. But both of them actually took a look at this one, and uh, CRPG Adventures was the one that specifically said they think this is the first CRPG, a commercial CRPG. So it was sold in a booklet, as basic code and it wasn't sold on tape and that's part of the reason that people debate whether it was commercial or not and it also the game itself doesn't have a lot of the elements of a traditional crpg so just some of the reasons why it's up for debate and i'll give you sort of my take on it as after i get through the whole game 
The booklet was listed in February 1978 in the Byte magazine. Like I said, we've seen it most commonly on Apple II and TRS-80. So that's kind of where we're crediting it with those. But like I mentioned, it could pretty much be run on anything that ran basic as far as I know. There were also Google book listings for the standalone basic code for this, which Engel sold, which had a date of January 1978. But I'm not sure how accurate that was to the copyright of the actual book. And since the concrete information we have is February, we're going to stick with that. So some sites also claim, and there's a lot of confusion around when this came out, as I mentioned, that it came out in 1977. But that seems more just based on the fact that Stimulating Simulations had a copyright date of 1977, even though it wasn't featured in that book. Or just based on the fact that CW Angle was making a lot of other basic games at that time. All the information points to 78, though, as far as we could tell. And there also will be a cassette release for it on the Apple II in later years to even further confuse things. <laughs> so just to get into the background of what the gameplay is for this, uh, they do give you a little bit of story in the original ad that it was featured, not in the game itself. And basically, you just kind of hear that there's this dungeon full of treasure underneath a volcano. And uh, that's sort of it. So you go and explore that. And each floor of the dungeon is a 4 by 4 grid, sort of like Hunt the Wumpus style. And everything in the game is text. And basically you can only move to certain adjacent rooms. Some of them uh, have a wall every now and then, some of them don't. And as you travel, you encounter monsters, demons, and or poisonous gas in the rooms. The monsters, when they show up, it shows their stats at the top of the screen. Both you and all the monsters in the game only have two stats, strength and speed. And basically you can try to attack the monster. If you have the higher strength, you'll either slowly lower its strength until it's dead, or you'll take it out in one shot depending on how much more strength you have than it. You can also try to run away from the monster, and I think it's based off of speed, whether or not you get hit as you run away. So I think that's how that figures in. You need to have a higher speed value than them to be able to make it out of there uh, without getting killed. And basically the whole crux of the game, the whole goal is just to gather gold. I'll get into this a bit later too, but there's no ending or final goal. It's just... As far as I could tell, although I didn't play it for an incredibly long time, but also in all the reviews that I was looking at, it might just go on forever. It might be randomly generated and continue going on as long as you can carry on going. So it's a little weird in that aspect, but basically the whole point is to gather gold. You have to kill the monsters in the room to be able to get the gold from it. Some of the other hazards are the gas has a chance to reduce your strength by half when you leave a room. Uh, permanently it, it just cuts your strength stat in half and demons also do the same when they show up in a room but they steal your speed instead of strength and they also take some of your gold and the whole sort of gameplay loop of this is that you're constantly being drained of your strength and speed stat as you move through the dungeon and you get experience as you move through the dungeon and kill things and then on the next floor there's a certain room on every single floor that you can invest your experience points back into your strength and speed. It's very strange, and I get a little lost trying to explain it. But you progress to each floor by randomly going through the rooms until you find what's called a drop-off point. 
and you enter a negative number and it descends you down there. And weirdly enough, the room where you upgrade everything is room one. And I figured that no matter what, every time you go to a new floor, you start in room one so that you can immediately upgrade your stats with everything from the previous floor. Mm -hmm. But it depends entirely off of where you found the drop-off point. So if you found the drop-off point in room 16, you land in room 16 of the floor below you, and you have to kind of hope you can find your way to room one to upgrade your stats before you find another drop-off point. And uh, each floor isn't the same either. Sometimes they could have walls in between rooms, at least as far as I could tell. Sometimes the volcano randomly erupts and causes a tremor that just changes how all of the rooms on the current floor are arranged, which also seems really strange. The way that you die in this game, too, I should mention, is if your speed or strength reach zero, which, as I said, is constantly decreasing every time you move to the next room. Both of your stats decrease by whatever the level of depth that you're on. So if you're on level two, it would decrease by two every room that you go through. And yeah, it's, it's fighting monsters. There's no different types of monsters. They're all just called monster. And you just hit a button. If you have a higher strength, you win. I think there are margins, like I mentioned, where you might have to attack it like three times to weaken it. And you might also take some damage. But it's still basically whichever has the highest wins. And then the other big gameplay feature is the magic wand that you have, which has a 60% chance to open an exit to the next floor where you are, and a 40% chance to drain both of your stats by half, which uh, is it's a gamble. And it's basically just if you occasionally you can get stuck in a room with no exits, if you walk into a room and there's a tremor or something like that, I never had that happen, although there were times where the game wasn't making it very clear, like how I moved from room to room. So I just like sat there mashing buttons. And if it was a room with poisonous gas, apparently that can proc multiple times if you like try to leave the room, but you walk into a wall, you know? Right. One time, I tried to escape a room enough that the poisonous gas just killed me. It sounds pretty brutal. It is very brutal, so let me get into my ratings for it, because I could talk myself in circles trying to describe the weirdness that is this game. So for graphics, I gave it a 0 out of 10. It is all text-based, no ASCII graphics, no uh, fancy like Play-Doh-style intro screen, nothing I could really give it any credit for. There's no display map button. There's a button where you could show all the rooms that you went to previously on that floor. But it just listed like room six. Your options were these rooms. And then it shows you the next room that you were in and the same thing over again. Not even like a grid style, just like a list of numbers. So there's nothing I would really call graphics in this. So I feel like all I could give it is a zero. And in a similar vein, sound, zero. It's a basic yep. code game. Apple II would have been capable of sound. I think the TRS-80 was as well. But for this version of it, since it was just the simple code to be applied to everything else no sounds going on so then for gameplay uh here's where we get to the crazy high ratings i gave it a one out of ten um (laughs) see what you did there (laughs) three for a loop uh there's not really a lot going on with the gameplay despite how long it took me to describe what exactly happens in this game it kind of just seems like you randomly go through rooms you see what's inside, hoping it's gold. 
but it could also be gas or demons that have a chance to cut your stats in half when you leave. I like that the difficulty seems to be infinitely scaling, like the monsters you encounter have progressively higher stats based on the floor that you're on, but basically it feels like there's not much planning you can do, not much strategy. You just kind of have to ride the balance of going through enough rooms that you get enough experience to level up your stats so that you don't just get like bodied by the monsters on the next floor. There's no loot, which is kind of a big gripe for me. I mean, not being able to find like a better sword just seems weird. It's just gold and experience and leveling up your stats and then your stats constantly decrease. So I really wasn't a fan of the gameplay for this. For relevance though, I did give it an 8 out of 10. It is probably the first commercial CRPG, even though I kind of have my doubts about it because it's not like a distributed copy of a game, but it was a sold pamphlet of the code, which I guess is the game just in a different medium. So I'm on the fence about it, but I see where people are coming from when they say it is the first commercial CRPG, so I feel like that's a big deal. We've seen a lot of better RPGs on computers, but most of them weren't for microcomputers and personal computers. So I feel like that does make a big difference. This was widely available for people to play if they noticed it and if they chose to buy it. And it does look like there are going to be CRPGs in the future that use basically this type of gameplay and this formula of the constant descending down floors as a template for other games. So I'm excited to see how the formula will be improved upon in the future games. So overall, I just gave it a 1 out of 10. Devil's Dungeon has an interesting history and definitely earns its place as a relevant entry in our timeline. The gameplay's a cool concept, but it just feels like there's too much randomness, not enough interesting encounters or events to keep me playing it. No monster variety, only two stats to level, no real goal, and no loot are all pretty negative for me, but I did enjoy learning about the story of the game, even if it's not one that I had a ton of fun playing. Man, it really makes me feel like how far advanced were those Play-Doh guys? <laughs> the Play-Doh network, like RPGs, feel like they should be five years later or something. <laughs> I know, yeah. Now that we're seeing microcomputer RPGs, we're like, man, we didn't realize how good we had it with uh, yeah. Moria, basically. <laughs> right. But it, it is worth remembering that those were only available to like... The University of Illinois. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Whereas these, this was widely available. Right. Yeah, it's cool though. Kind of reminds me of um the one I played, but we'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> yeah, so let's keep moving through the timeline then with another devil-themed game, Daredevil. It's probably actually not devil-themed. Uh, it's by Model Racing. We don't have much info on it. We have seen some dates for 77 through 81. Yeah. Uh, it just looks like a, some sort of motorcycle game, maybe similar to the Fonz, but dates like that we can't really nail it down and say much about it right but let's move into some handhelds Wes I think this is the first group of handhelds we're doing this year and yeah this year has a lot of handhelds in it, a lot more than usual so let's go through a couple I don't think we're going to rate any of these because they're not that exciting but we were definitely write some handhelds later on in the year but let's start out with one by Coleco called Digits which is just mastermind on a handheld so not the most interesting, but it is interesting that Coleco's getting in the handheld market. Yeah, definitely. By the way, all of these handhelds 
don't have a month date. So I just kind of threw some in every month. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I kind of made it so if the game looked really simple, I'd try to throw it closer to the beginning of the year. So the best ones are probably towards the end. And so with that, we'll move on to Quiz Kid, Quiz Kid Eraser, and Quiz Kid Speller by National Semiconductor. These were all a game version of math calculator problems. Not too much info on exactly what the game was for them. Another kind of interesting company, though, National Semiconductor, who did yeah, some chips yeah. in the past and stuff. Let's go on to probably the most interesting one of the group today called Waddington's The Game Machine. It's essentially a really big calculator. When I say, like, really big, it's, like, it's probably, like, the size of, like, an iPad or something. Oh, wow. Um, but it's essentially, you know, a really big calculator. But they played calculator games on them that used cardboard overlays. So you'd actually put the cardboard, like, on the keypad, and it also kind of went around the display and had, like, <laughs> I don't know, there was one of, like, a gun shootings because it kind of made it look like there was a bullet going around the screen using just like it basically used I'm sure there's a certain term for it but if you know like an 8 that's like basically like uh, 7 dashes does that make sense? Right yeah yeah it was basically like that and it probably went to like a number that was maybe like a million so a couple digits long but then basically just turning on on and off those dashes it could do certain quote unquote games a lot of them were just like timing based games and i think they had maybe like guess the number and stuff but the most interesting thing about it was the cardboard overlays which really did make me have a kind of a uh agnavox odyssey kind of feel to it <laughs> even oh, though yeah. the graphics are weren't like anything really i mean they were just like dashes but one of the more interesting calculators for sure and then next up we have the game machine by grandstand Mini Game Machine by VTech, Mini Game Machine by House of Games, which were all smaller clones of the uh, Waddington's Game Machine. Yeah, which is again interesting. Those were like more of like the actual calculator size that we know today, and because of that, I think the overlays weren't as nice. But let's right. let's move on from uh, handhelds for now. Let's do one from another magazine. This is uh, from the magazine called Seventy Three, which is a radio magazine. And when I say, like, radio, all the articles are about, like, um, trucker call signs and stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> like weird ham radio stuff. So it's not really a gaming magazine. They had this one game on it, but as far as I can tell, they're never going to publish another video game again. <laughs> so it's just this one mention. It's called The Fiendish New Cubic Program, which is obviously a version of Cubic, which is a 4x4x4 version of Tic-Tac-Toe. This one came out in February of 78 for the Apple One and used very simple text-based graphics, but, you know, definitely functional. It seemed kind of like a basic game. But, um, yeah, I just thought it was kind of funny it was coming from, like, a radio magazine. <laughs> but then, moving on to the first one I rated today, I'm doing Space Battle by Rick Papo for the TRS-80, which came out in February of 78. And um, this is basically a version of star trek like the original og from like back in 71 or whatever <laughs> i know oh, okay, yours yeah. was like uh 73 i think that you rated us mm -hmm. this one's kind of a, a mix-up of that but it does a couple things a little differently the main premise of the game just in case you guys aren't familiar with star trek is that 
you're in this basically a giant grid that's a galaxy and you move from point to point on the grid and some of those points have a space station which does certain things which i'll talk about and then some of those points have an enemy on them and basically you have to defeat all the enemies without dying to win the game and there's a couple different game difficulties that involve changing the number of enemies and changing the number of safe bases that you can go to but kind of similar to the ones in the past you have a lot of different options of how to fight and how to do things but i do think they simplify a couple of the aspects of the game and also do their own thing so i kind of think i want to get right into the ratings i want to do the easy ones first just to get them out of the way the first easy one is just sound because this is another trs 80 game that has no sound which i was very disappointed by but you know it kind of sucks that that's still happening to us but (laughs) we just have to roll with it i guess but let me talk about some of the um the other cool things. Let's do graphics first because it'll be kind of easy one to talk about. The quote unquote ship that you're in is basically like a plus sign. <laughs> so it's not very good looking. The enemy ships are like a weird N shape. They're very strange looking too. They almost look like uh like an upside down smiley face or something. <laughs> Maybe they're supposed to be like the top half of a saucer, but it's weird too because the enemy ships feel quite a lot larger than your ship. That might just be to help with the gameplay and help make it easier to hit them. I'm not sure, but they're both not very good to look at. <laughs> that's for sure. And there's a decent amount of the game where you, when you go to a new quadrant, there's not an enemy or a base, and then it's just a picture of your ship on the screen, and that's it. <laughs> Something I do like that it, it's both gameplay and graphics related is that you can access essentially the the key bind menu like anytime you want that you know the menu that tells you what all the commands for the game are and that's oh, pretty easy to do so i was pretty happy about that you also have a long range scanner which basically shows you what's in the most closest quadrants around you are they empty maybe there it'll say alien if there's one an alien one of them or a base if there's a base in one of them so basically anytime you move you want to use that like <laughs> Uh, assuming you're not under attack just to figure out where you are and then there's also a kind of global map of the whole galaxy and that actually updates I kind of thought this was surprising to me it updates even in quadrants where you use the long range scanner so you don't even have to go there but like for instance you'll use the scanner and then check out the world map and it'll actually kind of like be discovered quote unquote all the places that you scanned So it was pretty easy to go through. The The world map isn't quite as big as I thought it would be for a game like this. I think we've definitely seen ones that are quite large. But uh, this one's probably maybe like 20 by 20 kind of grid. So it's not that big. But I was playing at the easiest difficulty. So maybe it changes if you go harder. I'm not sure. But that's kind of it for the graphics. I mean, oh, actually, no, there is one more thing. The actual space stations that you go to, this is the only time in the whole game where there's like animation of any kind. <laughs> there's essentially it looks kind of like a Death Star, you know, a 2D sprite of a Death Star, but there's a hole in it. And then there's like essentially a laser beam that kind of shoots out from the hole. And I thought, oh my God, this is attacking me for a second. <laughs> but it's actually supposed to be a tractor beam. And then you will come towards the space station and it'll like close the door, which was pretty cool. Oh, okay, neat. So I thought that was pretty fun, but uh, 
that's essentially it for the graphics. It's nothing too crazy. I mean, the ship and the aliens in particular look really bad. The bases are definitely the highlight. <laughs> so for graphics, I don't know. I just gave it a, a 1.25 out of 10. It It's very simple, black and white, and probably 80% of the game, 90% of the game. <laughs> it's basically like one or two sprites on the screen and very simple text-based maps, you know? <laughs> so um, nothing really that nice to look at. <laughs> And then let me get into the gameplay now. This is the hardest one to talk about and the one that has the most interesting stuff going on. So for gameplay, I gave it a 2 out of 10. The main thing that this game does that's different from all the Star Trek games is that the combat is semi-real-time. So basically you go in, an alien sees you, the alien gets to move first, which is annoying. So they'll move, they'll try to attack you. I was never killed on the first shot, but I think it can happen. And then you have 10 seconds to fire or you can run away you can do a bunch of different things but it's timed and if you don't make a decision or if you like mess up the input codes the alien will just get another turn which is a little yeah it's very scary i mean one thing about it that is definitely happening is like you feel like pressure when you are fighting an alien i mean you've got 10 seconds to basically the series of codes that you need to hit is f for fire you then have to choose between a laser shot and a missile shot. I'm like not good enough to know what like the best one is at any time, but you can choose one of them. And then you have to do, I think, like a number of missiles or like the strength of the laser and then input the angle, which is a number from zero to 360. And you have to kind of guess where that alien ship is in that angle and input that number and you do all those things in 10 seconds or the alien will go and if you don't get it in time the alien's just going to move and you you lose it you can't like pre-program that stuff so that once the 10 seconds starts you can just hit enter like you have to do all of it in the 10 seconds which is annoying a lot like i really was at times just like spamming the fire button because i was just waiting for the 10 second thing to start but um I don't know. It's uh, it's definitely an interesting take on Star Trek because it's like this semi-real-time combat, which has never been done in these Star Trek games, as far as I'm aware of. They've always been like turn-based, or sometimes there's not really combat. It's like either you won or you lost, or I think they've all been turn-based, really. But yeah, so this one being semi-real-time is very interesting. The other thing about the gameplay that this game is specifically known for as being different from the other Star Trek games is you have to keep count of your money, which is a little different. And uh, you can actually like lose the game just by running out of money. And you can actually lose money by losing fuel, spending rockets and laser energy. And you also uh, have a crew on your ship, which I think is just another version of health. I'm not totally sure, but when crew die you have to pay funeral bills for the crew, which is oh. funny. But whenever you defeat an alien ship, you'll get a bounty. So I was never able to defeat a, an alien ship. In fact, the version I was playing crashed whenever anything took damage. So I wasn't able to play this to the same level of death, but I was able to explore the galaxy and go to a space station and stuff. So <laughs> I did some things. But all that's interesting to me. I also really wanted to know what space stations really did. You can obviously go there to repair your ship and get missiles and supplies and stuff that you've used. 
But once you leave a space station, it actually asks, where do you want to be teleported? And then just teleports you there. And it could be like across the galaxy, like anywhere you want, <laughs> which I thought was a weird feature. Like I wasn't even like, I, I didn't need that, <laughs> um, but um, I guess it's okay. But that's kind of the game. I mean, it's essentially Star Trek. There aren't as many complicated commands. You can still, like, self-destruct yourself, which I have no clue why you would want to do, because it would be game over. <laughs> but uh, you can do that. Otherwise, you just fire missiles or lasers. You've got a shield command. You've got the scanners. But I think it's a little bit more simple than some of the other Star Trek games we've seen. And so before I... Uh, get into my relevance and my total i wanted to read you wes really quickly this game was actually had a couple people do reviews on it (laughs) and i thought their reviews were kind of funny Uh, one person reviewed it this was in 1980 they reviewed this game and they rated let me see what they rated so for challenge they gave it a tough score for graphics they said fair starbase is excellent which i have to agree with that's that's true Pacing is fast. Content equals excellent. <laughs> Value equals good to very good. And animation is good. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so at this time, people were pretty happy about this game. <laughs> nice, yeah. Uh, I don't know if it uh, really holds up today, but <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> but let me finish up here. For relevance, I don't know. I just gave it a 3 out of 10. I didn't think it was that relevant. This was one of the few games we don't have any videos for, and the only emulation I could find had some pretty glaring bugs in it. <laughs> Obviously, it was good enough to be rated in some magazines back in the day, but it definitely seems a bit lost to time and not one of the more impactful games, you know, because it is a really just another version of Star Trek. You know, it can't be as impactful as Star Trek. And I like that they changed the combat and to be semi real time. But it's not real time. <laughs> and uh, the first game that does that is going to be the game that changes the industry. But for now, it's kind of piecing together a couple things that we've seen from different games in a, in a nice way, but without really making any real innovations. And then overall, I gave it a 1.5. It's okay, but the graphics are really lacking and there's no sound and it's in black and white. And... The combat, while it's different and interesting, it can also be frustrating at times and just needs a little bit more depth, really. More more real time. I don't know. <laughs> 10 seconds is not a lot of time to do a bunch of weird math right. calculations in your head <laughs> and angle stuff, but <laughs> it was okay. It was kind of fun to go back to Star Trek for a little while. Yeah, yeah. And at least sounds... I mean, I'm glad at least you can get those instructions up from the comparison to the Star Trek I played where I had a web page open that had the instructions right. listed that I was tabbing in and out to. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it sounds interesting. And I, I was expecting you to do your relevance and overall ratings as a fair to good and poor. <laughs> I could have. Yeah. But that's it for Space Battle. Rick Papo, TRS-80. Very cool. And let's move on next to a kind of crazy arcade game by Atari called Sky Raider. The big one. The big one, yeah. The namesake of this episode. It came out in March, and 
let me just start describing it. But for everything I'm about to describe here, the caveat is go look up a video of it because there are videos of it and it makes a lot more sense most likely than how I'm about to describe it here. <laughs> so just getting into the cabinet itself and then eventually the visuals because that is the insane part of this game. The cabinet is just the standard standing cabinet shape that we've seen, but it does have some pretty sweet yellow and purple illustrations of like a fighter jet flying over a city. It's controlled with a airplane style yoke controller kind of thing. And the front of the cabinet has in front of the screen a cardboard or some material cutout that's one co-pilot and part of the cockpit. And then right next to him is this computer that has a pre-flight checklist on it, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> sort of obscuring part of the screen because the actual graphics and uh, gameplay only take part in the center of the arcade cabinet. And then behind the glass, but still kind of like next to the screen, there's more cardboard cutouts that illustrate the rest of this sort of like futuristic looking cockpit with two more co-pilots who kind of look like Boba Fett. Although I'm pretty sure they're not. It's just they have these weird futuristic helmets and he probably wasn't even out by then. And the screen itself is this right in the center, this strange triangle shape, except it's got squared off at the top. That's pretty thin, but it takes up a decent amount of the cabinet itself. And it's right in the center and pretty easy to see. It has a red film overlay over the whole screen so that the whole game has a red hue because the whole thing is in black and white. And similar to a lot of other cabinets that we've seen at the time, the screen was reflected. Still not exactly sure how that works, but I did see a couple images where the actual display was sort of inside the cabinet, facing up towards the top of the cabinet. And so the scrolling graphics in this and the graphics themselves are absolutely insane the detail there's no color but the kind of like triple hunt bear levels of shading except mm -hmm. times like 1000 basically <laughs> i wanted to give you that little bit of a preview because one of the creators described the game process of creating this display and the vertical scrolling in these visuals as taking an incredibly long time and i believe he also said that no wonder this is the only cabinet we made that used this or something like that <laughs> we'll have to see as we go through if maybe he was mistaken and they did anything else similar to this or not but it sounds like it was so labor intensive to get these really good visuals to work that they were like uh let's not do that again it's not worth the the manpower so getting into the gameplay itself, Sky Raider is really a simple game, just a timed bombing game, get the high score, that kind of thing. Your crosshair is in the middle of this triangle sort of shaped scrolling screen, and you can move it left to right. You can use the controller to actually slow down or speed up how fast the terrain scrolls past you. And there were five different types of targets on the screen, all worth different points. There were oil tanks, bridges, uh, cities, which is a little brutal because you're just destroying whole cities, and electrical towers. Those were all static, other than the fact that it was a scrolling screen, but they didn't move 
of their own. It kind of looked like they were moving with the terrain below them. But then the fifth target was actually an enemy plane that would fly diagonally across the screen as well. There was a bonus score that after you got to it, you got another credit. Your score was reset to zero, and then a higher bonus score was put up, and then the same thing would happen if you were able to hit that. So getting into my ratings for this, it's hard to overstate how incredible these graphics are. The detail and the amount of pixels they were able to display seem crazy for 78. As I said, it has levels of shading that are very similar to what we saw in the Triple Hunt Bear, but for a whole desert scene with a river winding through it, with many different shaped islands within the river, a bridge that looks like the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco with shading and actual wires on the bridge and actual posts holding up the bridge, six different oil tankers to represent one of the oil stations, electrical tower that looks like a classic electrical tower. I mean, it's insane. You name something in it and it actually looked like it was supposed to. And with all of these incredibly detailed graphics, since it's a sort of triangle shape for the scrolling screen and everything's coming down towards you, everything also gets wider as it gets down towards you to make it look like it's getting closer, which is kind of crazy. I sort of understand what the creator was talking about when he explained why it looks wider, and I'll try my best to explain it. It basically sounds like the monitor they were using could display a certain amount of pixels, and it was displaying the, certain, the same amount of pixels all the way through the shape, but it could display the pixels at larger scales. So they increased the scale that it was displaying the pixels as it went down the screen, so that the fidelity of all the graphics on the screen was the same, but they got larger, which I didn't even know was possible in 1978. And maybe that also speaks to when he was saying how incredibly difficult it was to figure out and actually do. So all of that aside, being one of the many reasons that I gave it a 5 out of 10 for graphics, also just the simple stuff like the score that pops up when you blow something up is really good. It's like this rectangle that <laughs> blinks white and black really quickly. It shows you the amount of the score that you just got in really clear lettering. And there's also all these cool like dust particles that uh, show up around it. And the shots to kind of match the cutouts are also very weird and futuristic. It looks like you're shooting these like pulsating lightning balls down at the targets. Uh, which is very strange because all the targets look very like appropriate for like 1978, but like you're flying like this futuristic plane and just like bombing the whole landscape. Who knows why? But that's just all those things to say the graphics are really good in this. So let's mm -hmm. move on now to the sounds. The sounds I gave a three out of 10, they're also really good in this cabinet, but nowhere near as crazy as the visuals, obviously. The bombing sound is this cool sort of, it gives you that electric feel of like it's something like pulsating and electric, but it also has a sort of tone to it that gives you the feel that the bombs are falling down, which is really good. And then there's this really bass heavy noise for the explosions when something blows up, which is also really great. And so both those sounds were done really well, but that's also all the audio I could hear 
didn't sound like there was anything else except for maybe a plane engine noise when the enemy plane flies by, but nothing too crazy. So then moving on to the gameplay, I gave it a 3.5 out of 10. While the gameplay for Sky Raider is really simple, it's really well done. It just kind of ties in perfectly with how the visuals flow. The targets feel fun to shoot at other than the cities because it's really weird that you're just blowing up whole cities. Kind of a jerk move. But they just look great. The way they scroll by is interesting. It's a lot better than targets just walking on screen. You hit them and then they walk off. I also really like the plane moves. It feels like the right balance of targets moving and not moving since everything's moving from the scrolling anyway but it is nice to have that one target that's extra hard to hit because everything's scrolling and then it's also moving towards you and i feel like for this type of bombing game five is just kind of the right amount of targets especially with the amount that they have them pop up on screen which is pretty frequently and the fact that you can adjust the scrolling speed too is just a lot of options for how to play this and even though it's simple it just feels really smooth. So then for relevance, I gave it a 8.5 out of 10. Uh, I, yeah, it's, it's up there. Because from <laughs> what I've seen and from what others have claimed, I would say that this is the first vertical scrolling shooter. Bennett mentioned when we were talking about it that there was Street Racers on the Atari 2600. Had a mode where you could shoot at targets that were coming down the screen. Definitely trying to imitate the feel of vertical scrolling. But in at least my definition of scrolling, I think since it doesn't have any moving background elements or anything that is giving you the impression that the background is moving, uh, I don't think street rates or counts as much as this one does. And even if you take that out of it for relevance rating, the fact that it could be the first vertical scrolling shooter, it's also just so far ahead of everything else in 1978 visually. Even if it ends up being cost prohibitive to make, I think it's definitely relevant for all the innovations that it's making. So then overall, I gave it a 4.5 out of 10. It's just kind of nuts. It's uh, at its core, just a simple timed score hunting bombing game, but it just gets huge bonus for the weird and really good visuals. To me, it also scores high because the visuals aren't the only thing carrying it. The sound and gameplay are also good enough to back it up. Nice. Yeah, that's that's Sky Raider. It's you warned me that it was going to be crazy, and you were right. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I knew as soon as I saw it, I was like, "Oh my god, this one's insane!" <laughs> because it's scrolling, and there's also kind of like that perspective effect where it gets wider as it goes. It feels almost 3D in a way. Because of the shape of the playing field is that triangle that's flattened at the top, like you mentioned, it also makes me feel like I'm playing as a plane shooting in Halo. Because if I was going in like a Halo ring, it would kind of look like that. <laughs> it does. And when it's displayed in front of you, it looks at like exactly like the Halo ring kind of curving in front of you. Yeah. Which also would be a awesome. Bit of like, uh, going down the Death Star Trench kind of vibes, you know? Yeah, definitely. 
So yeah, it's, it's really cool. You guys have to look up a video of it because we just can't do it justice. <laughs> exactly. And it had, um, I thought the cardboard cutout things with the co-pilot was kind of funny. Yeah, they're awesome. I like it whenever they have those. Oh yeah, they're super good. All right, should we move to the last one here, Wes? Yeah, yeah. Tournament Table by Atari. I don't know what they're thinking. They're like, oh, let's put out one of the best games we've ever made in March. And right beside it, we're going to also put out a bunch of Pong games. <laughs> oh, no. And, um, of course, I didn't have to cover this one. But since a, this is actually Atari doing it, I was like, maybe I should at least give it the benefit of the doubt. Check it out. Because, uh, you know, if other people clone Atari, it's not as big of a deal as Atari, like, cloning themselves. <laughs> but this is essentially a cocktail table that had a bunch of Pong-type games in it, all by Atari. And, yeah, I don't know. It's a bunch of Pong and Breakout games. So let's go through <laughs> the, the games. There's 12 of them in total. It's definitely a collection of different games. So we've got Breakout, which is a one-player game. Uh, all these are in black and white, by the way. But they kind of do a nice job with, like, Breakout. The bricks were black and white, and everything is on, like, a gray background. So it, it actually kind of looked okay. But you've got a one-player version of Breakout. But then you also have Soccer 1 and Soccer 2. So... Soccer 1 used an English control, which is very strange for Atari to be doing, because that's, that's the Magnavox thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, they have English on the ball, and then Soccer 2 actually allows you to catch the ball. So the ball comes towards you, and then I think you hold a button down, and you just have the ball, and you can move. And then whenever you let the button go, it like shoots the ball out in whatever direction it would have shot out, wherever you caught it. Oh, weird. It's definitely weird. It's kind of cool, though. But then we also had Foosepong, which is a lot like the foosball games we've seen on the 8600 AY chips. It's essentially Pong, but... I mean, it, it is what it sounds like. It's, it's basically Pong, but it's foosball, so you have a lot of little paddles all in a vertical line that you can kind of move up and down to help hit the ball. You also have Handball, which is probably the most boring one. You then have Volleyball, which is actually the volleyball straight from Atari's arcade game, Volleyball. <laughs> so it's basically like Pong, but the paddles are on the ground, like on the south part of the screen. And then the ball has gravity and it like bounces over a net and that's in the middle. And weirdly, this version of Volleyball also has a jump button, which allows your paddle to like jump up. It's still like a horizontal paddle. So it just is like an elevated platform where you can then try to hit the ball at that elevated level. I'm not sure how useful it would be, but <laughs> they have it. And they also have basketball one and two, which is basketball where you can have the catch the ball feature. And basketball is the same as, I think, again, on the 8600 chip, they had basketball where basically you just have two goals that are in the top. You have gravity and you're trying to bounce the balls up into the goals kind of like basketball and then finally you have quadrupong which uh actually i really love because it, it's from elimination which was one of my favorite games of the year it's essentially a four-player version of pong in this version though it's a little different they have it be a team of two people on either side so it's like a team of two people guarding the north side and the west side and then the other team is guarding the south and the east and each person is responsible for only their side of the screen to defend. 
So I always love Quadrapong. I think it's just a great game mode. Weirdly enough, on the flyer, it mentions Quadrapong as being a new two or four player version of the Pong game, which I don't know how new it is, but <laughs> <laughs> I think that's all of them. They also had hockey one, two, and three. It's just normal hockey with the English, with the catch feature, and then one that had three paddles per person, which is kind of who cares. But uh, that's the 12 games in one, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> the standouts are definitely Breakout, and then Quadrapong, and maybe like volleyball, basketball, I'd say they're, and foosball. Maybe foosball is like maybe my favorite. And then having the English as options and having the catch feature as options, essentially. That's all the games. So let's get into the graphics and the ratings. Let's start with graphics. It's in black and white. It's a bunch of Pong games. I'm giving it a 1 out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like I mentioned, Breakout doesn't look terrible, even though it's not in color. But I just feel like there's no reason why this game couldn't just be in true color. Like, it's Pong. Like, couldn't you just make the paddles blue and green? I mean, it's not a lot of help, but it's 78. I think they could have done it. Yeah, it's Um, something. Yeah. The gameplay, I actually went a little high. I gave it 2.25 out of 10. And the reason is that this is only sold as a cocktail table. And I think that's kind of smart. And what's interesting about it to me is that there are one, two, and four player games on this single machine. So it kind of doesn't matter who you are or what party you're with. There's always a game where you can play. Like if you're one player, you're going to be playing some breakout games, you know? And having fun if it's two player, maybe you play the soccer or the foosball or basketball or volleyball. And then if you've got four players, you can play quadrupong and have fun. You can play, I think one of the hockey games had four players. And all the paddles, by the way, look distinctly different from one another. So you have a white paddle and a black paddle and then a white striped paddle and a black striped paddle. So all four players could easily distinguish what was theirs on the screen, which is pretty cool. So... I don't know. I just think it it's a kind of a nice party cocktail table game. It kind of remind me of that blackjack that you played not too long ago. Especially with the uh, addition of Quadrapong and Breakout, having all that in one cocktail table gives you a lot of options. Yeah, definitely. And then sound like Eva, 2 out of 10. Higher than you would think. <laughs> <laughs> I counted there's at least 4 or 5 different Pong just, you know, bouncing around sounds. Some from you know, hitting off the paddles, there was a distinct sound that played only if the ball hit off the edges of the screen. And there was also a distinct point sound whenever somebody scored. So all that was maybe a little bit better than usual. And then Breakout had a distinct sound just for breaking the bricks that was different from all the other game modes. And Breakout also had an actual music melody that played when a certain extra score was reached or high score was reached so having like actual music in it i was not expecting that (laughs) and having the actual pong sounds be a little bit more interesting than i thought again i was like okay i wasn't really expecting that but (laughs) better than usual so i gave it a two out of ten for sound
you listen to the the uh the music, but it, I think it's we've heard it before. It's like a charge type sound. Oh right, the right. music. Uh, and then for relevance, I gave it a uh, two out of ten. I mean, it's doing nothing really unique. It's taking a bunch of other games that you know we've rated independent from this and just putting them into one cabinet. So, and other people have done that too. So you know it is Atari, but I don't think this one really pushed the envelope too much. <laughs> I do like the assortment of games on it. It's pretty unique, but. It's not doing what Sky Raiders doing. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> overall, I just gave it a 2 out of 10. It's okay collection of punk games, I'd say. Everything looks really crisp and clean. It is an arcade machine game, but having it be the cocktail table format, and that is the only format, I think it was actually the right call for this. I think in that context, it could be actually pretty nice. So, you know, definitely one where if you're having drinks and playing with friends, it could be pretty fun, I think. There's going to be a game mode on there that you're going to want to play, I think. Right, yeah. So, and yeah, that's Tournament Table. (laughs) Nice, yeah. Well, I mean, no, I I like what you're saying about the cocktail table. It was the redeeming factor of uh, Super 21. It's got mass appeal, and it's got something for no matter how many people you have sitting at the table. But other than that, yeah, it's just kind of a lot of pawn games, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, to be fair, a lot of these Pong games were their own arcade cabinets at some point. Oh, and something else I wanted to mention. How weird is it that the just original Pong isn't on here? Isn't that weird? Yeah. I feel like that's so strange. That's a great two-player game. Maybe they thought people were tired of it or something, but... But this is like Atari. Like, they're the original OGs of Pong. And it'd be just an easy addition. They could have yeah. easily said there's 13 games and just had Pong on there. <laughs> but they're like, nope. We're above that now. It's either soccer or hockey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is very strange. But should we move into the rest of our honorable mentions and wrap the episode up? Let's do it. So next up, we have Tournament Table by Lowen Automaton, which was a German-licensed version of Tournament Table, of course. And then we're just going to wrap it up here today talking about some circus clones. Along with Breakout, Circus is by far the most cloned game for 78 so let's get through some of these we're starting with one here that i know came out in march but most of these other mentions i don't have a firm date on but the one that i know came out in march was devil circus which is a sick sounding name i guess by uh Huawei, and balloon circus by Huawei, and balloon circus by data east which were all most likely circus by xd clones and then to round it out with some more circus clones we have jumpers by burkheister Hero by UkoCorp, nice. I think. <laughs> Acrobat TV, aka TT Acrobat by Taito. Balloon, Balloon Circus, and Balloon Mini by Data East, which, if you're counting, is like, I think, three different circus clones by Data East. <laughs> right. They love it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that'll do it for us today, guys. We're going to wrap it up here. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I feel like I didn't cover, like, too many great games but Wes you had some really cool ones you did Devil's Dungeon (laughs) which is like a pretty interesting RPG I did do Space Battle which is like another take on Star Trek we'll say that used real time fighting and then the big one Sky Raider could be 
I don't want to jinx it, Wes. Might be up there. Game of the year potential for me. It's, it's Ooh, potential. We'll yeah. see. The graphics are just that crazy. And then I did Tournament Table, which is just a collection of Pong and Breakout games that we've seen before, but I guess we haven't seen this collection before. And Atari's <laughs> like, you know, now would be a really good time to bring these back out again. So Right. But we had to cover it. I mean, it's Atari, so. Absolutely. Who knows? And there was, like, original <laughs> music and stuff in there, so... They're doing little things. Doesn't hurt to check in every now and then on those Pong games and see, has anything changed? Yeah. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that'll do it. Yeah, so make sure to check us out on Twitter for updates about our episodes. Take a look at our website if you want to take a look at pictures and descriptions of everything else that we've covered before. And also feel free to send us an email if you have any questions. And with that, we'll see you next week. See you all next time.